let no one take me for a fool. But if you do, then tolerate me just as you would a fool, so that I may do a little boasting. In this self-confident boasting, I'm not talking as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many are boasting in the way the world does, I too will boast. You gladly put up with fools since you are so wise. In fact, you even put up with anyone who enslaves you, or exploits you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs, or slaps you in the face. To my shame, I admit that we were too weak for that. Whatever anyone else dares to boast about, I'm speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast about. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I've worked harder, worked much harder, been imprisoned more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, who is to be praised forever, knows that I'm not lying. In Damascus, the governor under King Aratus had the city of the Damascenes guarded in order to arrest me. But I was lowered in a basket from a window in the wall and slipped through his hands. Thanks, Hannah. Um, my name's uh, Carl. I'm one of the pastors here. If you've joined us today to think about uh, the fear of failure, then welcome. Uh, but before we think a bit more deeply about that, I'm going to pray and ask that God would help us to hear what he wants us uh, to understand about that topic. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we thank you that you are not a God who has remained silent, but you are a God who speaks. Uh, you have spoken to us in your words in the Bible. Uh, and in the Lord Jesus, and Lord, the things that you say uh, meet us where we are. Uh, Lord, they do that because you made us, and you know us better than we know ourselves. Uh, and so, Lord, we pray that uh, you would speak to each one of us this morning the things that we most, most need to hear, and Lord, that you would give us uh, the ears to understand, to hear those things, to understand them, uh, to take them to heart and to trust you. We pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. I think um, we love to hear stories, don't we, about successful people. Uh, we love to hear kind of those rags to riches stories, the person who starts off in the gutter and makes it to the top of the ladder. We love to hear about people who make it. We love stories like uh, the story of Don Bradman, a guy, just a kid from a rural town who you know, would hour after hour in his backyard would hit a golf ball with a cricket stump against a water tank. 
Uh, and from those humble beginnings, he became the most extraordinary batsman uh, that cricket has ever seen uh, by a long way. We love those stories. And I wonder how many kids have heard stories like that, like the story of Don Bradman, and have replicated that. They've gone out into their backyard, they've taken their cricket stump, they've taken their golf ball, and they've found whatever they could, and and they've hit it for hour after hour in the hope that they too might go from humble beginnings to be a success, to really make it on the world stage. We love success stories, and we dream, don't we, of replicating that in our own lives, of being successful ourselves, whether that's in sport, whether that's in business, whether that's in study, whether that's in love. Uh, Whatever it is, most of us want to be successful rather than to be failures. And yet, strangely, as much as we love to hear stories about successes, we also, I think, like to hear stories about failure as well. Uh, We like to hear stories about the arrogant sportsman who's failed. Uh, We love to hear the story of the corrupt businessmen, you know, the banks that have had their comeuppance, you know, that have been exposed for what they are, that have gone from riches to rags. Uh, You might have seen on the news in the last few weeks uh, that across the world, some people have enjoyed uh, manipulating the stock market to see the big hedge funds, the big financial firms lose billions and billions of dollars. A, A group of nobodies in a Reddit group have used their money and their and their influence as a group of nobodies to, to make these big companies lose billions of dollars. And lots of people all over the world have found that funny. Sometimes we not only like to hear stories of success, we like to hear stories of other people failing. Maybe just so that we can feel a little bit better about what little success we've had. We love to hear stories of other people failing, but when it comes to ourselves, we find it very, very difficult. In fact, failure can be really crippling. Uh, When we ask people what they were most afraid of, some of the responses that people gave to that question were things like, I'm afraid of wasting my life. I'm afraid of society's expectations. I'm afraid of letting my family down. I'm afraid of losing my reputation. I'm afraid of messing up my job. I'm afraid of myself. Maybe you resonate with some of those responses. Uh, Maybe there are other failures that come to mind that you're afraid of. Either way, the fear of failing can be very, very overwhelming. And it can affect People also that we might think from the outside are very successful people. One man who is now a professor of medicine wrote about the early days of his medical career. He wrote this, As I reached the halfway point in my internship, I felt overwhelmed with inadequacy. I had a patient die and I felt responsible. My hard work was just barely adequate. My consultants and registrars were not exactly glowing in their feedback. 
I had an all-pervasive sense of failure that so many years of struggle at medical school had been a complete waste and that I was little short of dangerous. I could see no way out. He was so overwhelmed by that sense of failure that he made plans to end his life. I don't know where you're at, but maybe you're afraid of failure. Maybe that's something that you feel very deeply. And maybe you too can't see a way out. Maybe you've already failed. You're not afraid of failure. It's already come. And you're trying to pick up the pieces and you don't know how to do that. You don't even know if it's possible to pick up the pieces. Maybe you've failed. You've managed to get life back together again. But now you live in dread that something like that is going to happen again. And how will you survive? You barely survived last time. How will you do it next time? Maybe that's you. Maybe that's the situation you're in. Maybe that's somebody that you know. Somebody that you're speaking to. to somebody that you're friends with. Someone in your family. Wherever you're at, the Bible speaks words to us in that situation. It speaks words to us right in the midst of our failure. Uh, and it speaks words of hope. And I hope that wh wherever you are today, that the words that we think about this morning are a message of good news in the face of whatever catastrophic failure you are facing or have faced or fear that you might face. As we think about that, I want to introduce you to the man that we... Uh, whose words we read or that Hannah read for us a little while ago. The writer of those words is a man named Paul. He was an early follower of Jesus. Uh, he didn't follow Jesus until after Jesus had been publicly executed uh, by the Roman and the Jewish authorities. And in fact, Paul was a man who originally had been opposed to Jesus and been opposed to his followers. He originally had been setting out to destroy them. Uh, going from house to house, dragging them out of their houses and uh, bringing them before the authorities. But then this man, Paul, had had a transformational experience. He'd met the resurrected Jesus on the road uh, to, uh, as he was traveling. And that encounter with the risen Jesus transformed him spectacularly from someone who was trying to work against Jesus, work against Christians, to somebody... Uh, whose life was devoted to making known to others that the Jesus who died, who was crucified, had risen from the dead and was the Son of God. His life went through a complete 180-degree turn. But his life also moved from great success to what looked like catastrophic failure. Before he'd been a follower of Jesus, Paul had been massively successful. Uh, he was an important religious figure. He'd studied under a guy called Gamaliel. You've probably never heard of him, but he was like a big guy in the religious world of the first century. If you wanted to study under somebody in the religious world, Gamaliel was the man. And Paul studied under Gamaliel, the greatest, one of the greatest Jewish rabbis of the time. He, Paul was respected. He had social standing. 
Uh, he had power too. He'd been given power by the secular and the religious authorities to round up Christians and to bring them before the authorities. And yet, as he writes the words that Hannah read for us before, as he writes those words, he seems like an abject failure. He seems like a lost cause. Uh, the people that he was writing to were tempted, tempted to abandon him and to go after other more successful people. I mean, who wants to be associated with a failure? If someone fails, we, we, we tend to distance ourselves from them. You see it on social media, don't you? If someone does the wrong thing and it's seen to be the wrong thing, then what happens is everybody quickly distances themselves from that person. I, don't, I, 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 I was never really their friend. Uh, Paul was a failure. He'd been powerful, but he had uh, become a failure. He lists some of the failures that he had experienced. Uh, imprisonment, flogging. He's uh, been almost killed a number of times. He's been beaten with rods, pelted with stones, shipwrecked, not once, but three times. Uh, he's had to move around constantly because n nowhere has been safe for him. He's gone without sleep. He's been hungry thirsty, he's been cold and naked, he's experienced this spectacular fall from grace. He's gone from the heights to the lows. But rather than run from failure, rather than fear failure and push it away, Paul actually embraces it. He boasts in it. People just don't do that. Uh, who here has ever written a resume? Uh, when you write a resume, you don't put your weaknesses down, do you? When you write a resume, you leave your failures out and you talk about your strengths, all the things you've achieved, all the studies you've done. You don't put in the degrees that you started and never finished. Uh, you put in your successes. And then when you come to the interview and they ask you that question, what are some of your weaknesses? You never actually tell them what your most profound weaknesses are. And if you do say something, you, kind of, you try and reshape it, don't you, so that it looks like a strength. You spend ages before you go to the interview thinking, what am I going to say when they ask me that question? Sometimes I'm too focused on my work. And it gets in the way of my personal life. <sighs> it's a curse. Nobody boasts in their weaknesses, do they? When was the last time you heard kids fighting in the backyard or at school? I'm weaker than you are. I'm way worse at riding my bike than you are. You could get me out 50 million times before I even get you out once if we're in the nets. People don't do it. When was the last time you heard someone boasting about coming dead last in the athletics carnival? Or, or boasting about not making it to the end of the fun run? When was the last time you heard someone boast about being overlooked for a job for the 100th time? being knocked back for getting into their choice study program. 
And if you do hear people boasting about those kinds of things, they're not really boasting about it, really, are they? Often it's a kind of a protection mechanism. Uh, We try and make a joke of it in order to hide the deep hurt that we actually feel. Maybe that's what you did this past week. Maybe this past week, this past month, this past year, maybe you failed again. And maybe you feel like a catastrophic failure. Or maybe you're just afraid that you will be a catastrophic failure. Are you boasting about that? Are you running around telling everybody about how badly you've failed? More likely, that failure lives deep down within your heart and your mind and nobody knows about it if you can help it. Nobody boasts in failure and weakness. But Paul, who wrote those words, he was. And he didn't just do it as a kind of a psychological trick. Paul clings to what looks like failure in the place of success. He clings to weakness rather than strength. Well, the question then is, how can he do that? And the short answer is really that what God has done in Jesus, what Paul had discovered that God had done in Jesus, completely turns the world upside down. A little bit later in the next chapter, Paul talks about another struggle that he has. He calls it his thorn in the flesh. You know, if you've got a thorn in your flesh, it niggles away at you. It, it just, every time you brush against something, you can feel it digging in. Uh, and sometimes it can be impossible to get away. That's what Paul says he had, he had this thorn in, this, in, in the flesh. Something in his life that caused him to struggle constantly And he cried out to God again and again, Lord, can't you just take this away? I know you're powerful enough to take this away, but God didn't. And Paul says he could not understand why God wouldn't do that. Why, if God God could, why didn't he take it away? Why would God want him to struggle? The answer to the why of Paul's failure and weakness is in the next chapter. We didn't read it, but it comes in verse 9 of the next chapter. And God says to Paul, he says this, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Why does Paul embrace weakness? Because, he says, incredibly, unbelievably, that is where God's power is made perfect, where it's most clearly seen, where it is, if you like, even the most effective. What Paul is doing is latching on to something that lies at the centre of the Christian faith. This isn't some kind of side bit on the edge, this kind of side teaching that he latches onto. This is at the very heart of what it means to know God through Jesus. This is the very heart of Christianity. And Paul is latching onto that, the idea that at the heart of God's plan to save human beings like you and me, at the heart of that plan is God displaying his incredible power in weakness. The greatest moment, the Bible says, in the history of the world, the greatest moment is God the Son's crucifixion, his execution at the hands of humanity. 
That is the greatest, the most powerful, the most awesome moment in all the world. That is it. What looks like incredible weakness is actually God's great strength. But that doesn't make sense, does it? It doesn't make sense to any of us. You don't win a gold medal by trying to come last. Uh, You don't uh, rescue a drowning swimmer by drowning yourself. Or if you're a doctor, you don't save somebody's life by taking your own life. It seems like madness. But God, in his wisdom, the Bible says, has chosen weakness and foolishness as a way of rescuing people. Why would God do that? And the simple answer, the very simple answer is pride. Not God's pride, but our pride. God has chosen what seems so self-evidently foolish, what seems so self-evidently weak, to expose our foolish confidence in ourselves. God has chosen what the Bible calls the foolishness of the cross so that we might recognize the stupidity of thinking that we can make it ourselves, that we can make it ourselves without God, that we can achieve all that we mean to achieve, that we can do all that we want to do, that we can be in control of our lives. Jesus looks from the outside like a complete failure. Steve read some words before in the Old Testament from Isaiah 53. Let me read a few more words from that same chapter. This is what the Old Testament says about Jesus. He, Jesus, had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Jesus looked like the ultimate failure. He looked like the ultimate social outcast, the kind of person you didn't really want to have anything to do with. And worse than that, he even looked like an enemy of God. It continues, we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. He was a failure. That's what it looked like. But what looked like weakness was triumph. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. He took our failure. He became a failure. Took our failure so that he might rescue us. He took his, our failure upon himself. He bore the cost of it and he triumphed. But the failure that Jesus took on himself was not just any failure. The failure that Jesus took on himself when he hung on the cross was not your failure to get into university, your failure to get the job that you applied for, uh, your failure for your life to work out in the way that you'd uh, hoped. The reason that Jesus hung on the cross was not that failure. It was the failure of living according to God's plan for the world and for us. 
And that failure, our failure to live according to God's plan and purpose, that failure is really at the heart of every other failure. All the failures that we experience in life, all the sadness and all the misery and all the grief, all those things are just echoes, if you like, reverberations, the ripples in the pond that spread out from that one big failure in our relationship with God. And what Jesus did was he took on that big failure, he crucified it, he absorbed the cost of it, he took the penalty of it, and then he rose from the dead to show that he triumphed over that failure as well. And the message of the Bible is, is that we trust in that. If we trust in his death, then his death and his resurrection wipes out our failure with God as well. That's great news, isn't it? There is a way out of failure. There is a way out of the failure that lies at the heart of every failure. But there's a terrible, terrible catch. In order to receive that gift of triumph over failure in Jesus, you and I have to face up to the fact that we are failures and that we can do nothing to fix the problem. We have to accept that we can't win. We have to accept that it's beyond us. We have to let go of our pride, the pride that God wants to destroy, and we have to helplessly come to God through Jesus. Jesus tells a story, uh, told a story during his life uh, to make exactly that point. He tells the story of a man who's building a tower, and this man, he says... He sets out to build this tower and before he builds it, he has to sit down and work out whether he can finish it. He has to do that because if he, get, if he doesn't work out beforehand if he can actually make it to the end, then he'll, what will happen is he'll get halfway through building his house and he won't have the resources, he won't have the money, he won't have the time to be able to finish it. Uh, and he'll be disgraced. We've all seen grand designs. They start, three years later, it's on hold for 20 years. But Jesus tells another story. He says, imagine then that there's a man who's going out to war. And that man who's going out to war, he has to do the same thing. He has to sit down and work out whether he can make it, whether he can win, whether he can make it to the end. Because if he goes out and he can't win, then he won't just be embarrassed. He'll be destroyed. He'll lose everything. He needs to sit down before he goes out to war and work out if he can make it. But unlike with the man building a house, there's another option for the guy who's going out to war. And that is he can sit down, he can work out that he can't win. And he can give up. He can surrender and look for mercy before he even goes out to war. And Jesus says, that's what we need to do in our relationship with God. We need to sit down and work out, can I succeed? Can I make it? Can I patch things up with God? 
Can I really control the world in which God has put me? Can I control that relationship as much as I can or can't control the relationships around me? We need to sit down and we need to work it out and we need to realize that we can't do it, that we're weak, that we're failures and we need to give up and we need to plead with God for mercy. In order to receive God's mercy in Jesus, the only way out of failure, in order to receive that, we need to accept that we're failures in God's eyes. You need to say to God, God, I'm a failure. I, can't, I, I, I failed so many things in my life, so many things I've set my mind to, I haven't been able to achieve. We're told that if you, if you try hard enough, if you put enough time into it, you can do whatever you want. But the truth is, we know it deep down in our, in our hearts. We can't do it. Sometimes it works, but you know what? Often it doesn't. Lord, so many things I failed in life, but do you know what? Lord, there's one thing that I failed more than anything else, and that is to relate to you, the God of heaven and earth, in the way that you call me to relate to you. I thought I had my life together. I thought I was pretty good. But you're telling me that's not true. I accept that. I accept that I'm a failure in your eyes in that light and I trust in Jesus. Accepting that we're failures in God's eyes and receiving God's mercy in Jesus is the way that we begin the Christian life. It's at the heart of Christianity. It's also the way we keep living the Christian life. Maybe you've been a Christian for many years uh, and you're thinking, well, what does this mean for me? How do I keep going in the Christian life as I face failure? Well, Paul says in verse 9, he says this, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. He doesn't run from weakness, but he embraces it so that he can experience God's power. Some people might tell you that the good news of the Bible is that we just accept that we're failures and in need of God's mercy. Uh, and the good news is that from that moment on, everything that we set our minds to succeeds. God comes and our life prospers. Is that the good news of the Bible? Paul says it isn't. He says, I'll boast all the more gladly in my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. The day will come for sure when Jesus gathers his people to himself, all the people who put their trust in him, and there will be no more failure, no more weakness. But until that day comes, we remain weak. We remain people who fail. We remain people for whom things don't work out as we plan. But that's okay. Because we trust that God's power is made perfect in our weakness. Maybe you're afraid of failure. Maybe you're so afraid of failure that you can't see a way out. Maybe you've already failed and you're trying to pick up the pieces or maybe you're anxious that you're going to fail again. The good news of the gospel is that if you belong to Jesus, 
if you, you've accepted that you're a failure, uh, not just in life but in relation to God, then God's power is at work even in your failure through the power which raised Jesus from the dead. We're all failures. The world is beyond all of our abilities, but the world is not beyond God's ability. Come and trust in Jesus. Let me pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we just want to acknowledge, uh, Lord, that the failure that we experience in life, in everyday life, in, in small ways and profound ways, uh, the frustration and the weakness that we feel, our inability to do what we set our minds to, all those things are but echoes and ripples in the pond of that great failure in our relationship with you. Lord, that we've rejected you and turned away from you, that we failed to live according to your plan and purpose, your good plan and purpose. And Lord, we want to acknowledge that. Uh, and Lord, we want to surrender uh, and say that we need your mercy, that we cannot climb our way out of the pit that we have dug for ourselves, uh, that we need your grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray uh, that you would enable us to trust in him. Uh, and Lord, uh, as Paul did, uh, having trusted in Jesus, even to be able to boast in our weakness, because we're so amazingly confident that your power is greater than our weakness, that your power is perfected in our weakness, uh, and that your power is more than a match for whatever weakness and catastrophe we might face or experience. Lord, we pray these things for Jesus' sake. Amen.